0: do it bro post editing just know you can do it bro it's gonna be live it is going to be live bro Started something big yes sir welcome to the routine jumper radio podcast my name is Jalen Dixon and I'm just a guy with a mic who loves talking basketball so with that being the case I got a lot on my mind in terms of talking hoops and this is the first edition of of the RJR. So with that being the case, let's go ahead and get right into it. So with this being the debut episode, I want to set a little bit of a ground rule slash expectations for what this brand is going to be, what this podcast is going to be about, and a little bit about what I value when it comes to the idea of talking about basketball on a weekly basis. So much so that I nerded out and I actually wrote out a mission statement. I know, bro. I know. But listen, this is my way of holding myself to a certain standard and having other people, having my viewers, my listeners hold me accountable for the kind of content that I present. So I'm going to read it out. Follow along with me and I'll explain it a little bit more in detail after. The mission statement for Routine Jumper, the official mission statement for Routine Jumper, is that Routine Jumper is a podcast, a blog, blog coming soon, and a brand built to help push and promote healthy and constructive discourse regarding the game of NBA basketball. Now I know what you're thinking, that's a whole bunch of mumbo jumbo. He's using words like discourse, constructive. He's being very um political about this mission statement. But that's kind of the point, right? It's, it's kind of it's supposed to be a formal way to present what I am all about, what this brand is all about. But the crooks of it, the, the nitty gritty of it is that in reality, that's just a fancy way of saying that I want my brand and my content to all be about pushing strong, strong discourse, strong arguments, strong discussions in general, when it comes to the game of NBA basketball, right? My whole thing is that there's been and this is this is probably the best way to transition into where this brand really is motivated to move towards over the last year and a half or so this ideology of new media in the sports realm specifically basketball has been the one that's really been able to take this over has been something that's grown up through the weeds with players former NBA players even current players Getting their own podcasting platforms and allowing themselves to talk about the game and share their stories in a more direct, firsthand way, more firsthand experience. You have podcasts like the JJ Reddick podcast, the All the Smoke podcast. You have Draymond Green's show that he does. Even Patrick Beverly has a podcast. Shout out to the Knuckleheads, too. I've been listening to them a lot more recently. And it's given me this understanding that the game, the conversation around the game of basketball is growing more and more, not necessarily to phase casuals out, but I think to test the true knowledge of those who claim to be analysts, who claim to have extreme basketball knowledge, who claim to feel as though they see the game differently than the casuals. And that just really got me thinking about the idea of having real basketball conversations, right? There's always the idea of barbershop shop talk. And there's plenty of podcasts that present that element of being able to have back and forth shouting matches. Yes, constructive criticism and constructive conversations. But it tends to sometimes be a who can present the most facts. That's what Nick Wright for um the first things' first show on Fox does or who can scream the loudest in terms of being able to share their point or who can pound their their point so many times from segment to segment that eventually you kind of just end up falling into the trap of believing it right that's something that Skip Bayless falls into the area of i wouldn't say necessarily that people believe him on a regular basis but i think that he says the things he says so often that people believe that he believes the things that he says all of this to say Now, I believe that the conversation around the game of basketball in the NBA is starting to grow to a point where us as fans are being forced to think more about the development of players, the development of organizations, the structure of the cap, salary, things of that nature in terms of your favorite team and how they function. And the parity of the league this year is only further expounded upon that because it's made it where every team Maybe doesn't necessarily have a chance, but every team is working towards some kind of end goal this season. And I don't think they all come in the form of tanking for Wimbenyama or just something as simple as winning a championship. You have the Sacramento Kings who are trying to break a a 16-year, a 15, 16-year streak of not making the postseason. You have a team in the Boston Celtics who are coming off of falling short in the finals looking to win a championship. You have a team like the Suns that's simply looking for redemption in any shape or form after how they went out against the Dallas Mavericks. I think the biggest thing and the most important thing when I look at the NBA landscape is that the structure of teams, the balance of teams, the ability to have five, six, seven, eight guys on your roster that are able to be able to play at a high level on both sides of the floor or at least produce at a really, really high level on one side of the floor if they're a liability on the other is so huge in the NBA now as we transition away from the big three era, or at least we've temporarily done so. And so that I want to bring that all the way back to my brand essentially in terms of Routine Jumper, which is this idea of having more conversations realistically about the growth of the game of basketball and all the teams that are going to be a part of that. Um, one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to start my own podcast in general, and I've had, I've been on podcasts before and I've had my, uh, had a podcast with a friend in the past talking basketball for about two years and different things like that. But I think there's a certain level of nuance that I want to go about when talking about this game that I feel like I can only do in a, in a stream of consciousness setting like this one. And one of the more important things to notice, or that I hope to hope you will notice as this brand continues to grow, is that I want to be able to have a conversation about the NBA from a more open point of view. When you go on ESPN, it's Lakers all the time. It's Brooklyn drama all the time. It's Luca or it's Embiid. But the league is so far beyond that. The league has grown from a talent perspective in a way that has literally made the entire, every, all 30 teams are exciting in their own way. Despite Jonathan Isaac being injured for two whole seasons, I've remained a stand and now he is back. And although he's playing in limited spurts, I'm glad to see him back on the floor. Before Tyrese Halliburton got injured, He was arguably one of the top five point guards in the NBA. And I still think that he's coming for that spot as a a top five guy, even when he comes back from injury, just because of the talent that he has. But he plays in Indiana. I think the same thing is with a guy like one of my favorite players is Shea Gilders-Alexander. And I think that, I think genuinely one of the reasons that he was snubbed for the all-star starter position was simply out of the fact that he plays in Oklahoma City. Because I think if you take, if you take that element out of it, if he were playing on the Knicks, a team that he was rumored to potentially be in conversations um, with regarding trades this past summer, say he was with the Knicks, I think he would have had a legitimate argument, a potential argument to get in over a guy like potentially Steph Curry, who missed significant time due to injury, right? I'm not saying he would, not saying he would, but I'm saying I think he would have had a much more he would have had a more significant shot under better circumstances considering the market. But I think that markets in the NBA should no longer dictate the value of what discussions are had in a national media discourse. And I think think what I'm trying to get with all of this is that I want to show more teams light. I want to show more players that are not spoken about on a regular basis I want to show them more love and give them more credit for their production I want to get more into the NBA draft because I feel as though that outside of typical a handful of podcasts that lean on the San Vassini podcast for the game uh, well his podcast called the game theory I've been a huge fan for a long time and actually got the pleasure of even speaking to San Vassini a couple years back podcasts like those and draft junkies and things of that nature. They focus on the draft all year long, but in the national media, the NBA draft is not really taken into consideration until about a month before the draft. Maybe some some, uh, platforms start to give it more credence around March Madness, but for the most part, it seems as though there's a lot of pockets in the NBA that don't see as much light on a national level as i think the die hard nba fan would love i even think i'm going to test this out in a more in a smaller scale in a more like social media driven way as opposed to in a podcasting platform to start but I even want to dabble in the WNBA because I think that is an area I market that, a, I think from a content from a content perspective, has not been explored to the extent that I think it could be. But I think on top of that, there are just so many very talented female basketball players that I think have a lot of skill, have shown a lot of potential. There's super teams forming in the WNBA. If you pay attention to the the news as of late, if you know, you know. And I just think that there's so many avenues in this NBA space that I think, similar to the G League, if given the proper push, we could see an even greater gravity for the casual fan to want to learn more. Beyond the box score, more beyond the highlights from House of Highlights or from ESPN. I think there's a world where, as this kind of content, this new media content that gives you a different perspective or gives you different angles or simply touches on the underrated, I think those are the kind of medias that are going to drive the growth of the game where there's less casual and more nuance and um yeah man that's that's really like that's really what this is all about that's really what routine jumper is all about and i think i want this podcast to follow the pathway of joining this new media wave that involves growing the game by tackling it from a different direction and um Although I don't think I'm going to necessarily get into the weeds, anything crazy today from a statistical standpoint and things of that nature, I want people who listen to this podcast to expect that from me. People who listen to this podcast and post, people who listen to this podcast when they hear me live on the AMP Radio Live app. I want you guys to hold me accountable for always having real NBA discussions. Not just talking about the hottest team in the league. Not just talking about who's the best player in the NBA. Not just reading off box scores to statistics without giving them any kind of real context. One of my biggest things was starting a solo podcast was to give myself the opportunity to hold myself accountable on a day-to-day basis of not just creating content that pushes the game forward, but also holds my integrity as a aspiring NBA journalist to the fire. I want to be held to the standard of presenting facts, presenting my opinion with relevant and sufficing context behind it. I want to be able to provide the news, but provide the take. I don't want everything to be hot take related, but I want my hot takes to have real fire behind them as opposed to being something I just say for the sake of clicks. Um. So yeah, my mission statement, again, although it's kind of a little drawn out and everything like that, I think the whole point The entire point of the Routine Jumper podcast, the entire point of the Routine Jumper blog, the entire point of the Routine Jumper brand is to grow the game by having a greater conversation than just the surface level aspect of the NBA. And I think that there's a lot of different ways that that can be explored. I think that there's a lot of different ways that we can all learn the game together through having real life conversations about the different things that are going on in the league from a development standpoint, from a cap standpoint, from a franchise building standpoint and what that takes. I think there's a lot of real deep conversations about the direction that the NBA is heading in that we can have. And it's going to be interesting to see how you guys respond to that, because I think that the direction that the game is going, NBA fans are going to continue to grow with it. And I think that podcast, like the one I'm trying to create, can be a really strong forefront for pushing that. So with that being the case, right, we got to actually get into some real NBA. This obviously is not all about just my podcast and my brand. I want to get into some real NBA on this debut episode. So with that being the case, I want to start with some general thoughts on the landscape of the NBA, and I'm going to go from conference to conference, and then there's something else that I want to bring up on the back end that I think is going to be really important over the next couple of weeks as we make the push towards not just the all-star break, not just the trade deadline, but I even think the start of the postseason is going to be impacted by this this overwhelming storyline, and like I said, I'll get to that at the end. The first thing I want to start with in terms of NBA discussion is how... How wacky the Western Conference is, right? I think the crazy part about the Western Conference is that although we have so many surprises across the stands, across the standings, there isn't any definitive team that I feel comfortable saying is the 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 out the running favorite to come out of the Western Conference. I think the easy answer for many would be the Denver Nuggets. I was on a podcast recently where I was asked who would be my favorite to come out of the West, and I said it would be Denver. I think the play of Nikola Jokic has been insane. That's why he's one of the front runners if not the front runner for MVP. The the growth of Aaron Gordon this season stepping up as a better three-point shooter, becoming more of a outlet outlet threat for Nikola Jokic. The play of Bruce Brown who has been huge as a guy who plays the 4 on offense basically, but it's a, he's in a guard's body and has been able to provide defensive versatility for the Nuggets. Um, Bones Highland has been a great surprise and obviously the return of Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr have been huge in terms of the development of the Nuggets where now they sit at the top of the Western Conference at 34 and 16 as of when I'm recording this. But I think at the end of the day they are in a circumstance where under the right through the right matchup I don't love Denver. In an up and down pace and space matchup against the Memphis Grizzlies or against the Golden State Warriors, I don't love Denver. I, I I think you can make the argument that Nikola Jokic will be the best player in the series against either one of those teams. But I think that the overall – I think the overall – play style that they work with is so methodical, not necessarily because of the hit head passes and things that Nicole Jokic and them can work within. But I think that in a pace and space, three point shooting up and down type of game, a, a type of series, I think the Nuggets are vulnerable. I'm not saying they lose, but I'm saying I think they're significantly vulnerable. So I, I can't say that they're the outright favorite just because of their record. Let's go back to the Memphis Grizzlies. I think the Memphis Grizzlies, despite the fact that they've reached the postseason a handful of times in the last two or three two or three seasons, I still think that their youth is something that could be a downplay for them. I think that Dylan Brooks is a, is is a chucker. I think that John Morant can be one of the most dominant guards in the NBA when he's on. But there are nights when that three ball is not falling. And he is relegated to being more of a facilitator and teams that can play with the, play with the speed, the mat that can match Memphis, the way golden state was able to do this past season teams that can match that speed, give them problems. Teams like the Clippers, I think are interesting because their defensive versatility across the board Memphis can go small and play fast. But I think that LA can play small, and be versatile enough to guard it. So I think that Memphis is in an interesting spot, especially because I think their best defender easily is Jaron Jackson Jr., but despite the fact that I think he's a legit DPOY candidate, I also think that he gets in foul trouble so often that it makes him a significant liability in big games. Love Jaron to pieces as a player, but I do worry about The fouling, when you talk about his aggressiveness as a shot blocker and a rim protector. Sacramento obviously is playing above their weight right now as they sit third in the Western Conference as of recording this. And I think that they're a team that unfortunately, with the kind of weight on their shoulders, they're going to be a team that ends up because of the expectation now, because of the, the precedent they've set with the way their success has been this early portion of the season, They're going to drop the games that people think they should win, and they're going to win the games that people think they should lose. And that's going to make them a confusing team all season long, despite the fact that DeMontis Sabonis is having the best year of his career, and he is the driving force for a team that has the second-best offense in the entire league right now. De'Aaron Fox is having a solid, very all-star caliber season this year. They have flexibility across the roster in terms of defense and shooting with guys like Kevin Herter, Malik Monk, Keegan Murray, Harrison Barnes. You like the depth that they present. But they're so green to this concept of playing winning basketball that you have to wonder about them long term. And then you just have a handful of teams like the Clippers who are tricky because their roster has not been together completely most of the season. Minnesota, who's been holding things afloat without Carl Anthony Towns in the lineup due to injury. The Golden State Warriors, who have kind of been in influx, not just due to Stephen Curry's injury, but the handful of guys that they lost in the offseason, who most, again, from a casual perspective, would view those losses, losses of guys like Gary Payton II and Damian Lee as dudes that are not necessarily big deals to the Warriors' overall bottom line, but played significant roles on that championship team last year and without the production of guys like Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody and James Wiseman, they've had to find it in other ways and be heavily reliant on Stephen Curry and Jordan Poole to carry and Klay Thompson to sneakily drop 30 every other week to remind you that he's one of the best shooters in the world. Um. I even think that teams like the Dallas Mavericks and the New Orleans Pelicans, I think at the end of the day, when you have a guy like Luka Doncic or you have a guy like Zion Williamson, you are a legitimate threat as a postseason contender. But the play of the Dallas Mavericks is predicated on heliocentric ball whether it's when Luca Doncic is on the floor or when he's off and the lead man is someone like Spencer Dinwiddie it's still driven down their offense is still driven down to pound the air out of the ball and self-create without having significant self-creation on the roster I think the Pelicans have a ton of different things but Across their roster, they have Dyson Daniels, Trey Murphy, uh, CJ McCullum, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, obviously Zion. Um, you look across their roster, they have so many interesting talents that all do things that they need. Yet, with that being the case, what does it, what who are the what is the eight-man rotation for the New Orleans Pelicans in the postseason? Like, I think with so many varying skill sets that all provide something that does benefit the New Orleans Pelicans, I think you would say there. you can make the argument that more is less in a postseason setting when you look at the fact that there isn't necessarily a talent discrepancy, but there's a handful of guys that all do the same thing, but and they do it very well, but you can't play them all together at the same time. And that gets even harder in an eight-man rotation. So I think the Western Conference is, an ins- is in an insane spot because of the fact that I think genuinely, if there were any season where like a play-in team could make significant noise, it could be this year. And it could simply be off of the fact that a team that, that ends up in the play-in is a team that's much better than their record is. Golden State right now is at the sixth line, right above. Um, but, they're, but they're literally tied with Dallas, New Orleans, and Phoenix, which are all in that play-in mix. I think that Golden State is a team that could make another run, but they could end up doing it playing through the play-in from the seventh or eighth spot. I, I genuinely believe that. And so I think that the parody, I think that the, the discussion of parody in general in the NBA is really kind of built more so off the Western Conference. Now, I'm going to get to the Eastern Conference in a moment, but I think that the Western Conference is what's created so much of this parody or this, this, this storyline of parody because of just the, the nail-biting that is I mean, honestly, the four spot where the Clippers are all the way down to where the Lakers are at 13th, where they're separated by three and a half games. I mean, that's genuinely insane when you think about it. And I think that the Western Conference is going to be in one of those spots where, like I said, I genuinely believe that I'm not saying the champion will come out of the play-in. But what I'm saying is, do not be surprised. I'll actually stamp it this way because I actually do want to make a take on this podcast that I, I feel definitive about. I do believe that a team as low as the 6th seed is going to make the Western Conference Finals. I do believe that. Any team between the 6th and the 10th seed down in the play-in tournament, one of those teams is going to be in the Western Conference Finals. I think that matchups dictate this significantly, and I think that in the Western Conference, matchups are going to be even more important than in the East because I think that the contrasting styles of a lot of these teams make it where there are perfect puzzle piece fits for certain teams to be able to be successful. So I think that a team, I'll even go as far as saying I think a team in the play-in is going to end up making the Western Conference Finals. I really do. I really do. With that being the case, let's transition over to the Eastern Conference now. Now, the Eastern Conference is not nearly as log jammed. After Cleveland at the fifth spot, the next closest is the Miami Heat at eight. Things are relatively under control in the Eastern Conference with the Boston Celtics sitting at the very top and being moderately in control being about two and a half games up of both the Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers. I just am confused by the Eastern Conference though. Like I understand <laughs> it seemed as though like the confusion was the Western Conference. And I, I I definitely am a little bit lost on that, but it's more so about who the who the definitive front runner is. For the Eastern Conference, the definitive front runner is the Boston Celtics. They are the most well-equipped. They're coming off of a season where they were one of the best defenses in the second half of the season last year. And they have been in the ballpark of that so far this season, at least when they had their roster fully together, when you inclu- when you re-acclimate Robert Williams, who missed significant time to start the year off. But it's kind of the rest and I say that more in the sense that like, I, I feel as though the Eastern Conference has a sleeping giant and I just don't know who it is. I don't know who, who that team that could come out of nowhere, who's that team that is most equipped to take down the Boston Celtics with the way that they've played so far this season. I think that the Boston Celtics, from a talent perspective, From a skilled perspective, I even think you can make an argument that from a coaching perspective, because Missoula has been been pretty good so far this season. I think you can make an argument that. Across the board, the Boston Celtics kind of outclass the rest of the Eastern Conference. But I have a weird feeling. That somebody is going to come out of nowhere and blindside them. This Boston Celtics team in a weird way screams of the Phoenix Suns team last year. I don't know why. I think that Jason Tatum has been much better this season than Devin Booker was last year. I think that Jalen Brown as a co-star has been much better from a offensive and defensive standpoint than Chris Paul was last year, despite the fact that Chris Paul was getting like legitimate MVP buzz for a while last season. I think that the defense is legitimate with Grant Williams, Marcus Smart when healthy. I think Malcolm Brogdon has been great off the bench. It's like when I say it out loud, I feel like you can talk me into a scenario where Boston should and could just steamroll everybody on the way to the NBA finals. Yet there's still this weird gut feeling that there's a team that, that can hang. And I think that if you're a team that can hang with the Boston Celtics, in a seven-game series, all, all the, all the difference is one possession, two possessions. We saw that in the Milwaukee versus Brooklyn series a, a couple of years ago when Milwaukee went on to win the finals. The difference between Milwaukee being discussed the way they are now as a team that has championship pedigree, a team that we still believe in, despite the fact that their bench depth is not super insane. Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton have been in and out of the lineup. Giannis Antetokounmpo is not shooting as well from the free throw line, despite the fact that he's getting to the free throw line the most of his career. We believe in that stuff because of the the the, the finals run that they made. But the difference in all of that conversation comes from Kevin Durant's foot on the line, and in a weird way, I really believe that the Boston Celtics are in a similar pocket to that. I really believe that the Boston Celtics are in a area where, if in the right scenario for a team, I think that Philly is an interesting team for that, with the dominance of Joel and B. This will just simply come down to, I think, how are they able to balance. Tyrese Maxey and James Harden on the defensive end. But they've experimented with the idea of having, I believe it's DeAnthony Melton starting and Tyrese Tyrese Maxey coming off the bench. And that's been very productive. Um, I think the dominance of Joel Embiid is something that although Robert Williams is an elite rim protector, I think Joel Embiid could give him problems. I think a lot of people want to hedge towards the Philadelphia 76ers being the sleeping giant. But I think it's Brooklyn, bro. And I think that might not be as hot of a take as people like might. I think that might not be as hot of a take. And maybe I'm overplaying this. But I think when you factor in all the turmoil of Brooklyn this past year, all of the things that Brooklyn has dealt with this season, dealt with this offseason even, I think that a lot of people are worried about what kind of championship integrity that team actually has. There are even people who didn't believe that Kyrie Irving deserved to be an all-star starter let alone even on the all-star team simply because they were factoring in his off-the-core drama despite the fact that the product the production is there the production is at an all I'm not gonna say at an all-time high but for Kyrie he has been playing out of his mind this year when he's been on the floor I think it's Brooklyn I think Ben Simmons can defend at a high level despite the fact that he is unwilling to put the ball in the basket I think Seth Curry has the chance to get hot on any given night. I think T.J. Warren is the biggest wild card of the season in terms of championship contenders. I even think that Nicholas Claxton may end up being the best defensive player in most series that Brooklyn goes into. I think that the team that everybody should be watching is the Brooklyn Nets. I think Cleveland is an interesting team because everybody talks about Donovan Mitchell. Obviously Milwaukee is Milwaukee. Obviously Philly is who they are. I think team I think people are done worrying about Miami until they actually prove something because I think I think they're a team that we just wait for the postseason to see what they look like because then they do things like last season where they almost made the finals despite the fact that everybody was worried about their depth when they entered the year. And then they had guys like Max Struess and Gabe Vincent balling out and it kind of made up for all of that. But I really think that the sleeping giant, and it's not necessarily a sleeping giant from the perspective of like the media isn't talking about the Nets. The media talks about the Nets all the time. But I think when you look at the landscape of the NBA and the way the direction is flowing, it feels like the Boston Celtics are head and shoulders above everybody else in the Eastern Conference. And for some reason, that level of obviousness makes me believe that they're set to be upset. Phoenix was the overwhelming favorite to come out of the Western Conference and they blew a series lead to the Dallas Mavericks. Despite the fact that they were more talented than the Dallas Mavericks last season, aside from Luka Doncic, who you, I guess you could argue was obviously the best player in the series. But that didn't that didn't stop them for the beginning first three to four games of that series. Um, And they got embarrassed on their home floor in game seven. I don't think it'll go that far with Boston, but I do think that Boston is in for a reckoning. I feel as though, although my pick would be Boston if you told me to put money on it, I think at the end of the day, they won't be the team that represents the Eastern Conference. So those are my general thoughts on the landscape of the NBA from a standings perspective. The big overlying conversation that I want to have when I'm talking about the trajectory of the league is the MVP ladder. Um, The MVP ladder has changed significantly over the last couple of weeks. Literally just last week, Jason Tatum was number two. This week, Joel Embiid is number two. Nikola Jokic has been at the top the entire time and the man is on his way to potentially winning a third MVP. And I think that the media is gonna do everything in their power to try and make sure that does not happen. He will be the first person to win three straight MVPs since Larry Bird. He'll be like literally, I think, the fourth person ever to actually accomplish the feat. And um I think as of right now there's nobody media or outside that would argue that he is the leading candidate. But I think this is going to be a year with all of the parity within the league that individual storylines are going to drive and as intriguing as giving a guy his third MVP may be, Joel Joel Embiid's push for being tired of of being runner up, right? Or Jason Tatum taking the step to being the MVP championship caliber player as opposed to still falling under the All Star umbrella that he's been pegged in for the last three or four seasons. I think the Luka Doncic element with him backpacking the Dallas Mavericks. I think all of those different storylines are going to carry so much weight come the end of the season. And I think with this crazy statistical outburst, the push for MVP, I think is going to actually be the thing that has the most influence on the standings. I think that the players who perform at the highest degree, and it sounds so casual when you say it that way, right? But I think there's a difference between playing high-level basketball on a bad team and playing high-level basketball on a championship-caliber team. There's also a difference between backpacking a team into being a championship contender and being the orchestrator of a team that has championship aspirations, but only due to the fact that you make the engine go. You have you have all of the pieces. This is in Nikola Jokic's case. He has all the pieces around him, but I think without Nikola Jokic orchestrating it all, Denver would be a middle-of-the-pack team. I think the Dallas Mavericks, if you look at them, Luka Doncic pack, backpacks them to the point that I think they're They go from being a play-in team at the worst to being in contention for one of the top picks in the NBA draft, I think, if Luka Dodgers doesn't play. So I think the MVP award is going to be so indicative and how the MVP ladder finishes is going to be so indicative of how we view the flow of the postseason, especially when the matchups are officially set. Because I think in a one-on-one matchup, I like the skill set of Joel Embiid, but I don't think the makeup of the Philadelphia 76ers is good enough to take down the Boston Celtics. But on the flip side, I love the makeup of Jason Tatum, and I've seen the Boston Celtics take down Brooklyn in the past. But this has actually been the most stable from a cohesion standpoint that the Brooklyn Nets have been in seasons. So what does a cohesive Brooklyn Nets team look like in the postseason? I think it's just so crazy that this year the MVP award could have so much influence on not just who we view as like the best player this year, the best player going into the postseason the best potential player in any given series. But I think with the amount of parody that we've had this year, that you can make an argument that whoever wins the MVP this year might end up being one of the lead, if not like the lead, like the lead protagonist, the lead torchbearer as like the next guy that we start to view as like the best player in the world. And I think that's such a crazy concept. I just think that with all of the parity we've had, all of the ups and downs, all of the teams that are typically considered as bad, putting together strong stretches and putting together actual cohesive, coherent rosters and producing as, as such. That in a trying year like this one from a competitive standpoint, The player that proves to be the most impressive in a season like this, he has to be considered in a high enough regard to maybe not be the torchbearer, because obviously body of work is an entirely different conversation. But I think similar to like when Giannis Antetokounmpo won the championship, and everybody converted to he's the best player in the in the league, or Kawhi Leonard is the best player in the league, or Steph Curry recently wins the championship. Is Steph Curry top ten ever? I think that the player that wins MVP in a season like this should be considered in a similar light, and it feels weird because the team that the player that wins MVP's team might not win the championship. But I still don't think that should skew our viewpoint on the successes that they were able to have over an 82 game stretch under the kind of conditions that we've had. There's 40 plus people averaging 20 or more points a game. And you 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 signified yourself as the best of that group. It's just, it's, it's just going to be a really interesting concept to keep track of because I think that it's going to point us in the direction of not only the play style and the player type that's going to be next up, but I also think, like I said, I think that torch is there and it's ready to be passed over and it's going to be interesting to see who who takes that mantle. Voting obviously has a lot of implications on this, but I think at the end of the day, the best player in the league is going to win the championship. I mean, the best player in the league, excuse me, is going to win the MVP. Um, and I don't think voter fatigue is going to hurt that. And that's not me making my push for Nikola Jokic or anything. Um, but I do believe that the best, the player that plays the best this year, is going to be the one that wins MVP. Um. There's a lot of seasons where there's an argument around that. There's a lot of seasons where you could make the push for another guy due to games played or team-based circumstances and things of that nature. No, I, I, I think the best player, the best player is going to make themselves. I think they're going to make themselves well-known as that guy come seasons in. Um, so yeah, that's the last big topic I have in terms of the landscape of the NBA. Um, something that I want to do consistently on this podcast is I want to go over NBA news and rumors only because I think that this is something that's going to help not only keep the podcast up to date in terms of the things that are going on across the league, but it can also help me get you guys' thoughts on some of the things that are going on in real time, because these are things that are not only, you know newsworthy obviously but there are things that are going to have significant implications on the way this season moves forward so a couple of the things that i took down as big news um plot points is first off is the trade rumors surrounding Alex Caruso. I am a Chicago Bulls fan, so of course, hearing Alex Caruso being on the block is a, a very scary one. The fact that he has been put in conversations that involve the Golden State Warriors, for example, is one of those things that definitely makes me a bit nervous because of the fact that I feel like he's easily one of our best perimeter defenders. And even without Lonzo ball on the floor, he has created a culture defensively for the the Chicago bulls that I would like to maintain. Um, But Chicago bulls fans are all confused because we don't know if we're committed to the idea of selling off assets and trying to get some kind of restart, considering the fact that we need to recoup picks after giving up most of our draft capital to the, to the Orlando magic Alex Caruso being the first domino to fall, although wouldn't be as significant as seeing a Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan be traded, I think it would be the first domino that's indicative of the direction that the Chicago Bulls are choosing. So the trade deadline for Chicago is going to be huge and who they move or who they don't move is going to tell us a lot about what they want long term. Um, something else that I think is really intriguing is the extension of Miles Turner, Indiana, and Miles Turner were able to come to a two year, I believe a sixty million dollar extension um that tax on a pretty hefty amount onto um the rest of this season. I think he gets an extra seventeen million capped on the back of this season, and he makes a little bit extra money over the next two seasons on top of that. And um, the guy has been in trade rumors for months. It's been on trade rumors for like low key, like a year plus, actually. not that I'm thinking about it, um, and this extension doesn't necessarily absolve the idea of Miles Turner being traded, but I think that this mutual agreement between the two to come to a contract extension. Is insightful that Miles Turner wants to be a part of this team, at least for the foreseeable future. I think that playing with Tyrese Halliburton has definitely helped with that. Him being the lone guy on the block without Demont Sabonis has opened up his game where he's having a career season. So I think that's also another reason why. Um, I think that there would have to be a really solid offer on the table for the Indiana Pacers to turn around and then move Miles Turner. But I think that for the foreseeable future, Miles Turner, at least for this NBA trade deadline, is going to be off hands. So. I think that the guy that you look at is probably Buddy Yield. and I actually think in a weird way, Buddy Yield still fits the mold of what this team wants to do with how fast they play, having shooting with him and Ben Matherin on the wings. I do think they need depth at the power forward position, especially with Jalen Smith in and out of the lineup. So a guy like John Collins has always been intriguing for a team like this, especially with the way they play, with the play style they they have now. Um, So I would watch out for Buddy Heald, but I actually think that this this extension indicates that Indiana is going to be much quieter at the trade deadline than – we all probably most anticipated, um, before this season started. And, um, the last thing that I think is really important is that Jeremy Grant was offered, um, an extension and it was up to, I think it was about, I believe it was like a, I think it was 117 million, um, for four years. I want to double check that just to make sure, but, um, I believe it was about 117 million for about four years and he declined it and excuse me it was 112 million he declined it and I think the most important thing to take away from that is well a Jeremy Grant has bet on himself before that's literally what led to him going to the Detroit Pistons um was deciding to forego a contract extension re-signing with the Denver Nuggets and instead he signed with the Detroit Pistons showed off more of his skill set and um Although a lot of people presume that he probably he basically signed for the same contract that Denver would have offered him, but he was just able to get a bigger role. I think there is a world where Jeremy Grant could do something similar to that again for another team in the foreseeable future. I also think the other thing is Jeremy Grant may inadvertently be telling us to watch the Portland Trailblazers. Because I think that what he is doing by being non-committal is showing that he is playing the waiting game to see what the Portland Trailblazers brass in the front office is looking to do moving forward. Damian Lillard is a hot commodity, and as long as he is on your team, you are going to be considered as a team looking to try to go make the postseason. But you have young guys like Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons, Nasir Little still on this team, guys that could could start to really garner some real some real value as blue chip prospects if you were to try to tear this thing down and form in and, and, and form a rebuilding team. Um, Josh Hart has been in trade discussions already. I think that's kind of a spear line for that because I think Josh Hart is actually a relatively productive player for them. But this team is. Despite their hot start, they've come right back down to earth, and it's made Blazers fans and Blazers brass question just how high is the ceiling on this team because they tried the retooling, and it has only gotten them so far, so far this season. Um, So I think that Jeremy Grant's reluctance to accept the four-year extension outside of the fact that he, if he hits free agency, he can get a five-year extension for more money. Obviously, the financials of it is the the telling part because the dude wants to make more bread. Obviously, nobody's going to say to hurt your pockets for the sake of the team. You got to go get your money. But I also think it is telling in terms of the Portland Trailblazers' future that Jeremy Grant, who is a is a significant cog in their system he's their second if not third best player on any given night for him to be non-committal to this team i do think is uh, indicative of a murky water future for this team and players who have say in whether or not they want to return to this team seem to be wary about that murky future um so, yeah, I think those two, those two contract storylines have their own weight behind them because I think Miles Turner is not going to a championship contender this year, the way everybody pegged them before the year started, including myself. And I think that the Portland Trailblazers might be staring at a rebuild that might start at this trade deadline um, or – I mean, honestly, this could be something that hit the summertime. They might have to face the reality um, that way by having to see the season fail first um, before being fully committed to the idea of tearing it all apart. So, yeah, um, I hate to end on a somber note in terms of the Portland Trailblazers, but I just genuinely think that with the landscape of the NBA right now, Things like these are going to have a lot of weight with the trade deadline coming around because not a lot of teams have cap space. And so that means not a lot of teams can trade around to make the cap, cap space flexible enough to be able to take in guys that are going to make significant um, additions to their team. Um, but for some reason, I still think that the trade deadline is going to be pretty exciting because I think a team that we didn't expect to, that we don't expect to make moves are going to move on from somebody. And I think a team that has significant assets is going to smell themselves and realize that it's now or never in terms of being committal. Um, so yeah, that is the first edition of the Routine Jumper Radio podcast. Thank you guys for joining me on this pod. With that being the case, I want to make sure that you guys understand, I go live on the AMP live radio show app that will be in the description of all podcasts, um, platforms. I go live every, I'm going to be going live every Monday and Wednesday at 10 30 AM Eastern time. If you miss the episodes, when I record them live, they will end up going up on platforms, including the Apple podcast, Spotify, um, and all the other streaming platforms you also can follow at routine jumper and at the knockdown J on instagram and tiktok where i also do shorter form content and more um niche based content in terms of the nba over there on social media and man this is the beginning of an era bear with me with this one because i know that this is a more free-forming podcast, less discussion-based and more stream of consciousness. But like I said at the top of the podcast, I'm just a guy with a mic that loves talking about the NBA. And with that being the case, that also means that it's going to be a lot to talk about. So until next time, peace.